Welcome to the Heartbreak to Happiness Show with Sara Davison. If you're struggling with a breakup and you feel shocked, angry, betrayed, devastated, or sad and alone, then this podcast is for you. Best-selling author and award-winning host, Sara Davison, shares how you too can get on with your life to heal, grow, and move from heartbreak to happiness. Here's your host, Sara Davison. Welcome back to the show. And today, my guest is Min Grob. Min is the founder of CC Chat Magazine, which is a free online publication on coercive control, which is read in over 33 countries. She came to this as a result of her own lived experience of coercive control and has been campaigning, advocating and speaking out since 2015. Min's mission is to make the invisible visible, and she hopes that coercive control is understood not only in an intimate relationship or family setting, but also in wider society. So I am super excited to welcome Min Grob to the show. Welcome, Min. Hi, Sarah, and thank you so much for inviting me. Well, I'm really pleased you're here, Min, because I know you're going to add a lot of value to my listeners, especially in the area of coercive control. So before we get into that, tell us a little bit about you and why you came to have such a strong passion for, for this subject matter. Um, I was in a very bad relationship and I got out of that um, relationship um, a few years ago. And at the time, I couldn't make sense of what I was in. There wasn't really any um, physical abuse. There was a lot of emotional abuse, a lot of um, psychological abuse. And at the time, I didn't think that was as serious as physical abuse. So I didn't think that, I thought that if I was impacted by it, it was because I was weak. I wasn't sort of, you know, resilient enough. And I didn't really understand the impact of all of that. When I got out of the relationship, I read a book. The first book I read was Divorcing a Narcissist by um, Tina Swithin. And I was just blown away it was just oh my god there was so much in there I could relate to and as a result of that I um, started um, looking online trying to understand what it was that um, I had experienced and why it had such an impact on me and that's when I came across coercive control so I came across um, a few um, blogs and you know, read up about it. I, I came across some Evan Stark's book and I realized that a lot of the stuff in there was something that I'd actually experienced. And it was at that point, so this would have been um, 2014, that I realized that there was a bill and that coercive control was in the process of being criminalized. But nobody really knew when it was going to happen and whether it actually was going to happen. So at that point, I'd experienced, um, I was working as solicitors. So basically, I was working at the solicitors to pay off his bill. We'd had, um, the, the court said that, um, you know, we had to pay um, half of a solicitor's bill he refused to pay so rather than the solicitor um so rather than have the solicitors call in and um, debt collectors I actually contacted them and said look listen can I pay off um 
his part of the um the bill because I couldn't pay it sort of you know in money could I pay it off in kind so I spent a few months at the law firm working in the attic filing and then I sort of progressed into um you know sort of doing back office admin type stuff and by at the end by the time I left they were actually training me to be a legal secretary and actually you know it sounds grim but I really enjoyed it it was a fabulous firm and at that point I was working there and I noticed he was walking around you know contacted the police you know and they basically said to me well what do you expect us to do about it you know he's allowed to walk around when you say walking around then what do you mean in the office that you were working in or, no just or... outside the office I was on reception duty and he was walking past the window several times a day which of course as you can imagine created a lot of fear a lot of anxiety in me went to the police they basically said well you know there's nothing we can do about it he can walk wherever and so at that point, I thought, do you know what? The police just don't understand coercive control. How can I make them understand? And I suppose, looking back on it now, I laugh. But at the time, I had this idea in my head. Do you know what? I know exactly how I can make them understand. I'll um, organize a conference on coercive control, get all the speakers in, and then they will just like, you know, by magic, learn. And then, you know, this won't happen to anyone else. Anyway. That, of course, didn't happen, but that is how I set up my first conference, which was in Barry St. Edmunds at the, um, the Apex um, Theatre. And then that was only ever going to be a one-off because I, I suppose that conference was a reaction to a bad to a poor police response. But the feedback from that was you need to do them on an annual basis. You need to do a lot more. So I carried on doing that. And... Um, I think to date I've had um, five or six national conferences. There have been smaller events. But since then, I've actually um, diversified and gone into producing an online magazine, which is um, it's free. It's available to read wherever you are in the world, as long as you've got, you know, the Internet and probably, you know, computer. And um and it's on and around coercive control, not just in intimate relationships, but also, um, you know, around it, you know, works, workplace settings, you know, in schools, you know, in, um, you know, I look at cult coercion, I, I look at all kinds of um, areas in life where coercion and control exists, basically. So that's the idea. I think that's an amazing story. I mean, you, from your own personal experience, um, negative experience with the police, the way they deal with it, and I'm with you on that. I'm sure there are some good police officers. My personal experience has, has been horrific with them. Um, and they're welcome to come on my podcast and defend their, <laughs> defend themselves. But um, as yet, I'm yet to be convinced. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, obviously this is, we're talking UK here because both you and I are based in the UK. You know, globally yeah. though, from interviewing so many other experts around the world on this topic, you know, there are issues, you know, globally. So, I mean, first of all, before we get into, you know, why that might be, you know, what, would you define coercive control to be? If there's people listening right now, and they're like, well, I'm not really sure what it is. How would you describe it, Min? I would define coercive control as, um, am I allowed to swear? 
<laughs> well, for those of you who don't like swearing, cover your ears because Min is about to swear. But yes, go ahead, Min. For me, I found the easiest way to define coercive control is when someone does something to fuck with your head. I found that's the easiest way. I think that's a great definition. I think that should be the definition. <laughs> I think it should be the definition because if you actually look at the guidance notes by the CPS or the College of Policing, or you even look at the um, you know the statutory definition, I don't know about you, but I look at that and I go, "Oh, that's actually quite that's quite mouthy. That's quite." difficult to get your head around whereas you know someone fucks with your head it's it's bespoke to the person as what does that person do to undermine you to subjugate you to make you feel bad to make you feel in fear to isolate you to basically make what are the steps they take to basically affect your quality of life in a way that you are a lesser version of yourself that's how i define it Absolutely. I mean, I think you're spot on. I think you're spot on. And actually, this is one of the problems. Don't you think with the family court system, the legal system, the lawyers, the barristers, however well-meaning, the, the language yes. is so antiquated and it's so difficult to understand. It's like learning a new language, which is yes. very intimidating. And there's a yes. big part of me being a cynic <laughs> that is thinking, is it designed that way to intimidate, to keep everyone underneath so that they can do their thing? I don't know. But I mean, I've had very toxic experiences myself personally in the family course. I know uh, thousands of people that I've worked with around the world are also in all different countries have very difficult experiences, unfair, unjust in a lot of cases. Maybe you could go as far as saying corrupt people working within the system in some cases. There are some good people out there though. There are some good judges, good lawyers, good barristers. There are some great outstanding who care, make a positive difference. And, you know, I'm championing them all the way. But, you know, if you have the misfortune of being on the other side with some, you know, not so lucky with who you come across in the system, it can be traumatizing to say the least, right? I totally agree with you. The biggest issue I have in all of this is the use of language, especially the use of jargon. Because if you're not in the in-group and understand the language, for example, if you're not a qualified lawyer, so you understand the language, if you're not in the in-group, you know, an advocate understand the language, it's really difficult to head, get your head around it. And quite often, you know, bear in mind, you'll be wanting to get your head around it at a time we probably have the lowest capacity for learning something new because you're heavily traumatized you're sleep deprived you're highly anxious you're hyper vigilant and you know you're supposed to you know i don't know look at something read it and take it on board something that a professional would have taken years to um ascertain and understand I have a huge issue with that things just aren't easy for somebody who's traumatized and for a lay person you're so so spot on with that because you know of course you're going to be traumatized you know you're going through a breakup a divorce is known as the second most traumatic life experience we go through after death of a loved one no matter who you are wherever you are in, on the planet and then yeah. on top of that, you're thrown into a system where the language is very different and it's very intimidating and it makes you feel vulnerable because you don't very. understand it. Yeah. I mean, what is a position statement? What is a bundle? It's all 
designed to put you on the back foot at a time where you really need all the help you can get to present your case well you know for the um for the best interests of yourself the children yeah i have a big issue for that <laughs> uh, no i'm with you on that i mean obviously there are some phenomenal lawyers who will explain things who are gentle who are caring and kind and you know uh, can tap into that emotional support as well um, which is great but obviously you know if you're doing this on your own or you're up against a very uh, aggressive law firm who are sending you intimidating letters then that is something that can just be soul destroying and you know when you're already traumatized you're vulnerable and when you're vulnerable and you're getting aggressive letters or you're thrown into very stressful situations um, you know in the hierarchy in a courtroom even I mean just understanding who says what and why and why you can't say certain things and you've got to refer to the judge in a certain way depending on you know what level that judge is at and oh it's just so much to take on board and you don't want to upset anyone you don't want to do anything wrong to jeopardize your case so it is a fine line to navigate so how did you get through that for people listening you know who, who are thinking gosh this is where I'm at this is what's going on then for me right now what would your advice be well I suppose I was quite lucky because I've got two years of a law degree um, nothing beyond that so I suppose um, there is a certain amount of grounding there but my advice would honestly be if um, you don't have a lawyer and if you're um, in court um, against an abusive ex is you have to look after yourself. Treat it as an Olympic sport because, um, you know, eat properly, sleep, even if it's just a whole series of naps, eat, even if, you know, it's milkshakes, you know, you know, something that, you know, it's, it's even if you have to force yourself because you can't perform to the best of your ability when you're traumatized and if you're on a diet of kettle chips and wine you know soothing as though that sounds it's that is probably my number one advice you're you're looking at you know the chances are they'll be bombarding you with paperwork you'll have a busy day you'll be struggling with money you'll be struggling with sleep stress struggling with the kids so um you need to be um on your top game or as top as possibly can be under the circumstances and it's not easy but that is definitely my number one advice because you have to look after yourself to put yourself in the best position but you know yeah. as you said it's kind of counterintuitive because some of you may not feel like eating some of you may be mm. wanting to eat all the wrong food some of you may be going for the kettle chip and wine diets. I think we've all tried it at some point in our lives, right? Definitely, but, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, you soon find out that doesn't work and has some pretty serious negative side effects as well. Um, so obviously, you know, digging deep in those times when you're already feeling exhausted can be really challenging. So small yeah. steps and, you know, not putting yourself on a strict diet, but just really watching and being aware of what you're doing. I agree, that is really, really good advice. Are you struggling to cope with your breakup or divorce? Are you feeling devastated, heartbroken, sad and anxious? If so, please know that you are not alone and there is help available. 
Sarah Davison, best known as the Divorce Coach, and her team of accredited coaches are here to offer you the support and guidance you need to navigate all areas of your breakup, take back your control, and start feeling happy again. Sarah will show you how to dial down those controlling negative emotions, unhook from your ex, get back in the driving seat of your life and design a future you are excited to live. Sarah has a range of solutions to support any breakup, including free guides, one-to-one coaching, her Heartbreak to Happiness virtual retreats, live retreats, and you can even train to be a breakup and divorce coach with Sarah too. Visit www.saradavison.com today and start to feel happy again. Yeah, you talked a little bit there about the different things that that can manifest as you come out of a toxic relationship. So whether that's stress, panic, maybe flashbacks, you know, triggering anger, sadness, depression. Yeah. How do you manage those? Because, I mean, okay, you can go to therapy. That's one way of handling. And obviously you can come to a coach like me or any of my accredited coaches. Um, But, you know, if you can't afford that or that's not for you. Um, or there's a two-year waiting list maybe for the free services, which I know over here at the UK, there's a huge waiting list for any mental health service at the moment. You know, what's your advice to help people navigate those difficult emotions that will come up? I think my biggest advice is to identify which part of the day you're um, the most alert because that'll be the part of the day where you do your paperwork you do your you know you look at your bundles you um write out your um you know your statement and identify the days where you start to flag the times in the day where you start to flag possibly that'll be where you you know rest you recuperate i found it really healing really medicinal to go out for a walk just go out for a walk i don't i can't meditate it has for me it has um I associate it with something really negative and there's nothing I can do to divorce one from the other. So my form of um, meditation, if you like, is to do something that requires a small bit of concentration, but not enough. So going out for a walk as you're thinking, so you don't have thoughts you know, overwhelm you, they don't race as much because you're also having to concentrate on walking. Um, repetitive actions like something I really like to do is make bread make make anything I really like making gyoza you know those little sort of pastries filled with you know sort of get them and you know wagamama it's um, just doing little pastry cases like that it's very repetitive it's very soothing and you can still think so quite often I'll set myself a task that's quite sort of low maintenance you know doing puzzles, not massive 5,000 piece puzzles, but you know, maybe something, I don't know, 200 piece puzzle. So you're not thinking too much and then just let the thoughts flow. And quite often I find that by occupying a part of my mind, it allows the rest of my mind to order itself. And quite often I'll come up with a solution. And that also goes to panic attacks with breathing is, you know, you can breathe into a paper bag, but 
I don't know about you, but all that does for me is create more panic. Is what I'll do is focus on you know breathing. Now, lots of breathing techniques out there, but at the same time, do something else. You know, again, the puzzles. You know, listening to a um, not too exciting podcast, have music, and you know, if you have a smartphone, they have so many games you know, Scrabble, word search puzzles, whatever, that are, I find are distracting, but not distracting enough for you to um, not want to do it, if that makes sense. So I think it's understanding how your panic manifests and trying to... um, find pleasure in the things and and finding you know things that um give you pleasure and trying to sort of um fuse the two is what's really helped me when really I haven't had the money for very much therapy at all exactly and and there are things you can do I always talk about you know we control the remote control to our brain but most of us don't know that. So we just react in the way that we always have because maybe we learn to react in that way from, well, maybe it was an unconscious trigger. Maybe it was from our parents. Maybe it was you know watching other people in our lives. Um, or maybe that was the way we learned that we should cope, like to hold it all in and not show anyone maybe. You know, there's so many reasons why we react, we react in the way we do. But, you know, we can dial those emotions down. We can, by using some of those tools that you've given us, which I think are amazing, you know, just to take control a little bit and start to shift your focus onto other things, I think is really powerful. So thank you for sharing that. One of the hard things, I guess, is anger. You know, anger can be quite a debilitating, damaging emotion, negative emotion, because there's, there's a lot of energy around anger um, and all that energy being channeled at, you know, I see this all the time from, from people at their exes, really stops them from not only moving forward with their own lives, but, you know, they're holding on to that bitterness, which is eating them alive themselves. Yeah, you know, have you got any tips for, for dealing with that anger? Yes, I do. And I think with anger, what I'd also like to add is that especially for women, a lot of us, and certainly I was, a lot of us are socialized not to show the anger because it's a negative emotion. And if we become angry, there's something wrong with us. So it's taken me until my 50s to actually realize, you know what, it's okay to be angry. And it's okay to express that anger, you know, as long as you do it in the right way. And so I think the first thing to do is to acknowledge that it's okay to be angry. And my favorite thing for anger is um, to bake bread. You know, have you ever seen, um, so make dough and don't knead dough, you know, don't sort of like knead it with your, you know, the palm of your, um, of your hand or anything, just grab it and just whack it on the counter, whack it, because that needs it, and then gather it together, whack it, whack it, it makes a really satisfying sound, don't do as I did once, and whack it so hard that half of it breaks off and hits you in the face, because that's not great, and then there's a mess to clear up as well, but it's boxing, I love boxing, Um, going for a really rigorous walk, you know, dancing is a great one, you know when animals in the wild, you, you know when they're sort of, um, you know when they're in that sort of fight mode, when the danger has um, 
gone away. They shake themselves. They shake the adrenaline off. So my, what I do is, you know, I dance, you know, shake, jiggle, you know, have, um, I don't know, have disco music on, you know, have something loud, sing. And it's fun as well. And it's, and after that, it's, it's cathartic, it's exhilarating. And it just, it just, you know, resets you into a better place. And it's free, except for the bread dough. (laughs) (laughs) And that's great. I mean, anything you can do, and I totally agree with the shaking it off. And it's really interesting that you're talking about the animals because it's so true, right? After that, they do shake, don't they? And they sort of, and even when they just get up in the morning, they have a good shake, well, my puppy does, and then off she goes for the day. So I, you know, maybe that is a way of just releasing some of those emotions and, and shifting your state. So maybe we should all give ourselves a good shake. <laughs> I think, you know, one. we should actually, I, I'm not joking, we should actually have sort of, shake therapy where you know instead of talking about our feelings or anything it's like whack on some music and just all of us just shake you know freestyle you know shake the arms shake the wrists you know sort of wiggle the body you know shake the legs you know 20 minutes a day but twerking maybe that's that's what we should all be doing (laughs) yeah that too but you know not don't just twerk one area twerk your whole body you know total twerk I love it. A total twerk. Right, guys. Exactly. All to be practicing this tonight. I I certainly will be. That's for sure. Yeah. Be twerkalicious. (laughs) (laughs) Twerkalicious. I think we should get that in the dictionary. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Min. So, where can people find out more about you? You can get access to your magazine. Where can we find it all? Okay, so my magazine, the, the magazine is called CC Chat, which stands for Cursive Control Chat. And it's available on my website, which is um, www.coercive, C-O-E-R-C-I-V-E, control, C-O-N-T-R-O-L.co.uk. And um, the current issue is on the first page and all the back issues are available there as well. Or um, if you want a PDF copy, you can just um, contact me via the website. There's a um, contact page and I'll send you the PDF. And the magazine also, it's um, if anyone wants to tell a story anonymously, it's a platform for that. It's a platform for anybody who wants to um, talk about research they're doing, talking about their experiences, you know, of professionals, their, their, their experiences as a professional. It's about um, just, you know, having the conversation as much as possible. Much needed, more transparency, more openness about what's actually going on, um, more tools, more education, um, and, and more just kindness and support for people that are going through this to help them navigate, you know, especially if they're going through the family court system, having that support from others because people understand it, I think it's so important. Well, thank you so much, Mim, for joining me. I have one last question for you that I ask all my guests because my podcast is called Heartbreak to Happiness because I think it's really important that we all know what happiness is for us so that even when we are dealing with the you know, follow-on from coercive control and we're, we're trying to rebuild our lives, we can tap into that happiness along the way. So what is happiness for you, Min? Happiness for me is um, a walk on the beach when it's um, empty. 
the sky is blue, the sun is shining, it doesn't have to be summer, you can smell the sea air, and you've got a, a coffee in your hand and you're walking and you're letting your thoughts just meld. That for me is happiness. I love that. I love it. And I also love twerkalicious. So that's the word <laughs> I'm taking away. And I'm banking. Thank you, Mil, Mil, for being such a fabulous guest. Thank you so much for inviting me. I've really enjoyed this. That's it for today's episode. Do head on over to www.coercivecontrol.co.uk to find out more about Min and all the amazing work she's doing. And I look forward to you joining me on our next episode. That's it for today's episode of Heartbreak to Happiness. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review to win a free ticket to one of Sara's virtual retreats. The retreats are a transformative combination of live webinars with Sara herself, coupled with empowering online video programs designed to help you cope better with your breakup and start feeling happy again. For more details, head on over to heartbreaktohappinesspodcast.com where you can also get a copy of Sara's free gift. Thank you and join us again on the next episode for another dose of Heartbreak to Happiness.